understand the authority that really has been given to us. I mean, when Jesus came back, you know, he had... Yo, 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 you guys. We are back for uh, another episode of Unrefined Podcast. We have been uh, enjoying our break. Lindsay, how are you doing today, brother? Doing well. Um, stoked and ready to go with this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we have somebody in our studio today that I'm going to introduce, but she needs no introduction. It's Vicki Joy Anderson. She is an author, a Renaissance woman, um, just all around knowledgeable about uh, a plethora of different things. And I love having her on because even though she's so brilliant, she has common sense, unlike I seem to have sometimes. And so <laughs> she'll bring in a, di- a dimension into these discussions that I don't. So welcome, Vicki Joy. I'm so glad and excited. How is, uh, how's everything going for you? Hey guys, great to be back. Everything is going great. I had some time off myself and it was nice to just shove the to-do list aside and not have to be anxious over that. And I kind of put everything aside and just rested and slept in and stayed up late and kind of let myself be a, like a teenager on spring break again, right? Amen. <laughs> so it was right. great. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, Today, we're running a series here, and uh, this is the second of our series. What we're trying to do is we're trying to put out there to people just the basics of the Divine Council worldview, and not only what it consists of, its its essence, but also how it affects, you know, different operations in in our Christian lives and how we do ministry and and all that kind of stuff. And I was kind of struck by that one time that we— we have a lot of knowledge about it, but where does it affect us where the boots hit the road? And I thought Vicki Joy would be an excellent example and could give us share with us tons of information about uh, how this translates or converts from just ivory tower the- theological stuff to actually, you know, in ministry and stuff with, with a lot of her work and both with sleep paralysis, but also just with SRA, DID. Um, just emotional healing ministry type stuff with people. And so that's that's where we kind of want to go today. Where do you think we need to start, Vicki? Do we need to start with just the basics of of a synopsis of spiritual warfare and and then how maybe it affected how you viewed spiritual warfare, like what you used to believe versus how the Divine Council changed that and how it did? Yeah, sure. Kaiser's teaching just broke open so many things for me. You know, it, it was really exhilarating reading that book. Yeah. Uh, not only did it make some areas in my doctrine and my theology that seem kind of muddy, like, well, I'll, I'll come back to that later because that doesn't quite make sense. Not only did it bring clarity to some of those things, but it also gave me a little view into kind of organizational structure of of the heavenly realm. So, uh, mm. you know, before I did writing and stuff, I was a project manager and I was working on a master's in organization and leadership. And so project management, 
unfortunately, it's kind of the way I run my whole life, like even the way I do my own projects. And unfortunately, sometimes even the way I run friendships and relationships are, it's a very like project management. <laughs> I understand that. I, I get that. I do. It's, yep. it's not quite as human as it should be sometimes, but, but that's the way my brain works. Everything um, turns into an Excel file of some kind in my life. And so what was fascinating to me that is so unique about God that no other military strategist on the planet would ever conceive of doing is, first of all, you've got a book where he lays out exactly what he's planning on doing. So he's not even hiding. He, he doesn't even have the, 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 you know, the plan of attack or the, the, the secrecy. He just lays it right out like, okay, Satan, this is what I'm going to do. Here's all the signs of my coming, and this is what it's going to look like, and this is the year. And he, he writes it all in the sky and all the stars and, and the Moedim and in the sky and the Maseroth. So the Divine Council even added even more of that picture to me. Because here we have, in verse 1, it, it says that God's taking his stand in his own congregation, right? So these are his guys. This is his kitchen cabinet, right? And there's defectors. There's people who defect, but they're still sitting on the council, right? Like, wouldn't you fire those guys? <laughs> wouldn't, yeah. you get, yeah. wouldn't you get rid of them? And, yep. and we see Jesus was willing to do this too. Jesus knew who Judas was. He could see through that. He didn't fire him. He didn't replace him. Like, what is it? How sovereign and powerful and wise and cunning and intelligent is this God where he even has known defectors mm. on his council and he can still work his will? So I guess the, the, the very first answer, the very foundational level of how this doctrine changed my thinking and my approach on spiritual warfare is he's unstoppable. Like, wow. I like that. His enemies are, he doesn't even bat an eyelash at it. He's, they're still invited to the board meetings and given the minutes, like they know what's going on and they go out with all this information and they wreak as much havoc as possible. And it's going to be to no avail. I, it just amazes me how God is not, not one bead of sweat is dropping from his brow in all of this. Yeah, that's just, that's just incredible. I mean, to think about to, just uh, how much more glory is it to a God who can play four or five, six deep chess than, a, <laughs> than, than if we, well, or if we ascribed him as some theological areas do, if we ascribed him as meticulously controlling everything, well, that's, mm. that's not, there's not much glory involved in that. But to be able no. to do what he does, Without meticulous mm. control, now I believe God is sovereign, and I believe that you know yes. He's in charge and I, I, defi defined properly, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, for to be unstoppable, like you said, <laughs> and to not even bat an eye, like okay, yeah. here, here's all my plans, guys. See if you can beat me. I mean, I can hear like the <laughs> you know parking lot bullies. You know, it's like the outsiders. Come on, come on, bring it on. You know, here's here's what I'm gonna do, and I'm still gonna whoop you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Well, and, and what, just to add to that picture, you've got Satan in a frenzy at all times, working everybody up, running to and fro, you know, 
doing all of his deeds and building this entire infrastructure and all this technology and getting all these shills and thralls to, to do his dirty work. And he's busy, 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 busy. He's running around chasing his tail. And where's God? Sitting down. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You know Seated where he is? Psalm 22. He is enthroned on the praises of Israel. <laughs> Of his people. That, and and that's interesting you bring that up because I did a podcast with another podcast about my ideas of spiritual warfare. And I brought in that dynamic of we forget about that one of our biggest weapons is praise and worship. And I don't mean music, plus music, communion, just having that going through the Psalms. I mean, when I came out of Anglican church, we had a, a real regimented uh, going through the Psalms, and it was beneficial to me because I made those Psalms mine, and mm-hmm. you know, particularly Psalm ninety-one and a lot of those, yep. and and that became my warfare. That worship, became, yes, and and that you to, to be able to do that, you have to go back to what you said, Vicky. You have to have that foundation of He's unstoppable. I'm man. I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to borrow that, steal it, plagiarize it, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you approach warfare totally differently, don't you, Vicky? Yeah. Oh, totally. You know, um, I talk about this a lot because with sleep paralysis, you are, it's hand-to-hand combat when those things show up in your room. And mm-hmm. what I tell people is what I found in my own life and what I've heard from other people who tell me their stories, it's not necessarily something you intentionally go about doing, but once you grasp it, it's the aha moment. You have to wield the name of Jesus Mm. offensively, not defensively. And Mm. by, by offense, it's a military sense of the word, not like you're offensive. Mm -hmm. So when you interact with, with something from the fallen realm and you know that the name of Jesus is powerful, but you have not tested that armor, you know, like David, like I'm not, I don't want Saul's armor. I haven't tested it. Uh, if you haven't tested it or you don't know the authority that you have, and this is something that Russ Isdar used to talk about all the time, he would, he would, by a show of hands, how many of you know the authority you have in Jesus Christ to, to cast out demons? And the, the room would just be still, there'd be a couple like meek oh. little hands would go up, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. here's the difference in, um, between wielding the name defensively versus offensively, like in a sleep paralysis situation. The entity shows up in your room. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, 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 help me. Jesus, Jesus, help me. Okay. Or the entity shows up in your room and you say, in the name of Jesus, get out. Yeah. So what I find is a lot of people who have overcome sleep paralysis, they overcome it because they're using Jesus's name as a band-aid. Just get me out of this situation right now and then I'll be fine. They're not using it as the, the laser gun that to like, let's just get this done for, for good until we understand the authority that really has been given to us. I mean, when Jesus uh-huh. came back, he, you know, he had risen from the dead. He had triumphed over the grave. He's holding the keys to sin and death, which he wrestled out of the white knuckle grip of the entities in the abyss when he went down into Tartarus for three days and throat punched them and said, game over. And so then he comes to his disciples and says, you have the authority to cast out devils, to heal the sick and to raise the dead. 
we we still have that authority. So what's our problem? Yeah, Vicky, that just I'm sorry that that this is something me and Brandon have talked about for years. Just the difference between declaration of Christ's name and, and our authority versus this sort of pretty please, if you feel like it, God attitude yeah. that we can have and the difference that makes. I think that's one of the things you're getting at there. Yes, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Well, it makes a huge difference. I mean, uh, let, let me give you an example. In, in my life, for years, I read that uh, passage at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus is talking about. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And I know <laughs> tons of people that have read it the same way I read it for years. It was mm-hmm. almost like we were on the defense and the gates of hell were attacking us. But that but yeah. gates don't attack. Gates, right. are, gates are defensive. And and it went until I started doing a lot of the discipleship stuff and the movement stuff that we did that I finally understood that no, 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 no. We are on the offense here. We are not on the defense. If we're on the defense, that's where he wants us. Is yes. We have to take an offensive measure. And it, it, it's like, yeah, it's like King of the Hill when I used to play when I was a kid. I mean, the guy that's on King of the Hill has a different attitude about his authority than the guy trying to get up the hill. Yeah, and yeah. that affects our mindset, which affects our faith and, and our power. Yes. You know? This ties in really closely with the conversation I was having with Bo of the Bump Podcast. We were going through Psalm 91. We were talking about that. And he brought up something that I have never seen in that text. And it's, it's really similar to what you just said. When it gets to the, the verse about a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, I've always pictured that in my mind, like, oh no, there's going to be some horrible war or World War III or a nuclear bomb, or there's going to be some sort of disease that wipes out like the Black Plague, you know? And we're going to, somehow it is dependent upon us through discernment of the Holy Spirit to be this like Neo from the matrix where we're going to be like just dodging every bullet that comes at us, you know, like the onus is on us. Right. Right. And, and Bo was saying, but it says in there that it shall not come near you. Right. There's no personal pronoun there. It's not, he won't come near you. They won't come near you. And what he speculated, and I love this was that what we are being saved from isn't the enemy's sword. We're being saved from the wrath of God, which transitions right into the next verse that we're going to look with our eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Mm. And so it is this whole idea that even in Scripture, even when we're in the midst of a sermon or in a word study, we are so quick sometimes, unwittingly, to give so much credit to the enemy, how much yes. power he has, and yes. how how big his army is, and how much smarter he is than us, and oh, we're like Adam and Eve, and we're just going to get duped, and I, I just think there's so many opportunities, even in the day-to-day, like even right now, like when we watch the news, one of my biggest pet peeves, because I think that it is robbing God of glory. I can't stand it when every single thing in the news is some powerful weapon that the enemy has wielded. It's all dark and harp and it's it's all the elites and the Rothschilds and mm-hmm. why are we giving them credit for global events? Have we not read the Bible where there's been tornadoes and there's been wars and and there's been like 
at, at what point is God going to get credit for the things that are happening on his planet? Yes. Oh, I, I was just thinking about that yesterday. I, I went walking and I was listening to a, a sermon by a guy and he, you know, uh, his eschatology is a little different than mine, but I got the essence of what he was saying is that we need to, we need to give God more power than we do the enemy. And, Amen. uh, well, and part of it is, you know, in our circles, in the fringe circles, we're into all this, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with us knowing the schemes of the enemy and being able yep. to lay all this out and all that kind of stuff. But we have to be careful, at least I have to be careful, to not get fascinated with stuff <laughs> that I don't need to get yeah. fascinated with or yes. to geek out on on <laughs> some stuff that I probably don't need to geek out on. And and when you were saying that Psalm ninety one thing, I had this image. We just we watched Lord of the Rings every New Year, um, my family, and then now now Lindsay's doing it. At the very beginning of Fellowship of the Ring, um, it's when they they first face Sauron the the first time, and the orcs and the elves meet each other. That's the image I see about some may fall on the side. It's like an offensive thing, you know, that you have you're making a charge like Braveheart. I'm mixing my metaphors mm. now, but. You're making a charge and people are following this side and they're following this side, but you're going to keep, you know, keep the charge up and you're going to prevail in this thing. So I, that that's kind of an image that I, I see when I, when I do that too. But yeah, that's, that's a fascinating um, look at Psalm 91, which has long been used in the church for thousands of years as an exorcist type or a, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. dealing with the devil uh, passage, even to this yeah. day. So, well, and yeah. especially since, wow. especially since they've kind of dubbed it the soldier's prayer now, you know. So when yeah. you think of it in terms of the military, if if a thousand are falling by your side and ten thousand at your right hand, it's because the enemy is wiping them out. But but you're gonna you're gonna prevail. And so it's kind of like, yeah, we're down here on planet Earth and we're so vulnerable and we're just cannon fodder and we're just mm. dodging all these arrows constantly. You know, the enemy and his arrows, and we're constantly dodging them. And it's like, no, God is sovereign. And the reason why we're going to just stand back and watch and see the recompense of the wicked is because the it that is, is swallowing up all of these people is the wrath of God being poured out. And the reason why we don't fall in that is because Jesus took the cup in, in the garden when he said, God, if there's any way that this cup can be passed for me. That's not a metaphor for the, the cup of suffering. The cup of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. He took that cup for us. He drank it to the dregs. So when that wrath is poured out, when that cup is poured out on mankind and tens of thousands are falling, we don't fall yep. because the that cup of Christ is imputed to us. It, it's We've already drank it because he drank it on our behalf. And so... I I just love that the idea that now instead of Psalm 91 being this concept of like we're in the middle of this battle and there's bullets flying everywhere it's like mm-hmm. uh now the same thing with Psalm 82 the same thing with divine counsel if we really understand who has the upper hand in these stories in scripture mm-hmm. we will be far less afraid of what's coming and way more excited, like, I can't wait to see him come on that white horse and kick butt. You know, like, I can't wait. Like, uh, the, the fact that most people are afraid 
of the end times, there is a disconnect in the way that we're reading the scriptures. And it Absolutely. is a com- yep. yes, it's a complete contradiction to pray the Lord's Prayer every day and say, Thy kingdom come. You're praying and you're asking Jesus to come back and to right all wrongs and to bring perfection and rule. Like you're going to pray every day, thy kingdom come. But then you flip on the news and you see all the signs that he might be coming soon. And then what do you do? Your, your church holds a prayer and fasting vigil to pray against it and to have some president come and save you from it. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cry yep. out for saviors other than Christ. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's like, no, let him come. Let him come. <laughs> well, and this goes back I, goes back to the, the metaphor I was using about the Lord of the Rings. I think about the end when Aragorn is uh, crowned and they move through everybody and then they get down to the hobbits and they said, you will bow to no man. And everybody mm. bowed to the hobbits. And I think about that, you know, it's like Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas, they all had their jobs and they, they did their fighting. But it all came down to a simple decision that actually Frodo wasn't able to make, you know, mm. which is the, the secret. But but Samwise Gamgee, who I think is the real hero of the story, mm-hmm. um, yes. was was able to make for him. And so it's like we think that we're going to win the battle with armies and, and, and all this warfare and shofars and banners. <laughs> and, and, and I'm picking on my extradition and all this all this stuff. <laughs> When in reality, it, it comes down to we make a decision. Am I going to drop the ring in Mount Doom mm. or am I going to keep the ring? You know, yeah. and if, if that ring is a metaphor of everything that's not good inside of us, then that could be an act of spiritual warfare, sanctification mm. as an act of spiritual warfare or, or becoming like Christ. And But yeah. I like the metaphor you're painting here of of like we're in charge. And, and I mean, ultimately God's in charge, but on this right. on earth, we've been given authority here and it's been regained by Jesus. It's like, we're in charge. And so it's almost like a lot of this stuff that we, we, we slide into defensive mode and it happens. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. He doesn't want us to stand up on the, the mountain and say, Christ is Victor or like that, that German, I can't remember the, the, the German guy, he was doing a deliverance in Germany back in the 1800s. And, and, uh, Bloomhart, yeah, it was yeah. Bloomhart. The, Bloomhart. The, the father, not the son that came after him later, but yeah, yeah Johann Bloomhart. Bloomhart. And, and when he cast out this spirit, it said, Christ is victor. The demon came out Ooh. of this girl. Was it a girl? Yeah, I think it was a girl. And, and came out and said, Christ is victor. I mean, that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, that's the kind of warfare I think we're, we're called to. Uh, you know, some of the problems I see, though, is that some people will, will take that and then they'll follow that theology on out and think, well, then that means we're, we're dominionists. You know, you don't have yeah. to be a dominionist yeah. to have a proper understanding of our authority and power. That's my opinion. What do you yeah, think about that, yeah. Nikki? It, you know, there's such a fine line because it's sort of popular nowadays. Or yes. every, I'm, I, I'm not an intercessor. I'm not a woman of prayer. I'm a prayer warrior, you know, and we mm-hmm. all do it and we all say it. We all bought the t-shirt in the mug. Like I get it. But, um, you know, I saw this t-shirt at the, at the local Walmart recently and it was, it was like, uh, <laughs> it, it says something on the back, like, uh, Satan trembles when 
this woman puts her feet on the floor every morning. You know what? It, like you know, I was like, oh my gosh, you were just opening yourself wide up for attack. Like I, there the humility that is a required ingredient for successful mm. spiritual warfare and mm. intercessory prayer. And anybody who declares themselves a prayer warrior, you got maybe check yourself. Um, because it, it's, it, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to leave it to Christ one day to hand out the medals and tell me what I achieved and what I didn't achieve and how successful I was. And, you know, and we're, we're all going to get to heaven thinking we, we earned the, the silver star and the purple heart and some of us aren't going to get it, you know? And so I, I just think there's a fine line between claiming your authority, but then not becoming prideful over it. And, you know, yep. Gideon is a, a sobering example of this in scripture. Like he started out a coward, like we all do. Mm-hmm. God used him anyway, and he became this hero. But then if you look at what happened to him in the, in the years following that great victory, total idolatry, just like spun out of, and his, his whole family line and, oh, it's happened with so many of them. And so I just think that w- the pendulum swings all the way from one extreme to the other. You've got people who don't understand the authority that they have. Yes. And then you've got people who think that, hey, maybe I don't even have to pray and fast before I go and do this deliverance because I got this. I'm really yes. good at this. You know, yes. so there's, there has to be this utter sort of middle yeah utter dependence upon god yes is is what is how we claim that authority that's the price tag for for, get, for getting it and see and i think that's why you know i'm 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 gonna beat this dead horse one more time that's why i think uh worship and praise because that's yes. what, that's what gives us humility uh i think about that psalm you can probably tell me which one it is either one of you the one where the priest goes into the temple and he's dismayed and it looks mm. like the bad guys are losing and winning. And then oh, I yes. turned and looked at the fate of yes. the evil ones. And he, he went into a place of worship and praise from, yes. from that. Anyway, that's what it reminds me of uh, the, the power of worship and praise. And, and, you know, and then you, you got another ditch there where people make it like almost like witchcraft. Like you've got to, mm. Uh, I've been to so many conferences where you got to have your, you know, you, and and, and I, I say this tongue in cheek. So where you got to conjure the Holy Spirit for, uh, mm-hmm. you know, by singing three songs in a poem. And anyway, <laughs> and, 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 or if you're really holy, you do worship for a whole hour. Oh my gosh, man. He really <laughs> likes that. I'm sorry. I'm being very sarcastic, <laughs> but I used to do all that y'all. That's my disclaimer, but I think there's a balance. I mean, I think we can still do that and, and worship and praise and, and love Jesus, but it's, but that humility is, is what it comes out of it. And without that humility, we're not going to win the war. The, the bride of Christ will, but we might not, you know, persevere if, if, yeah. if because pride comes before a fall. And, uh, yeah, it, it, most of the times in my life when I've had pride, it's me thinking that I know more than everybody else and that I don't need to learn anymore and that I know how to do whatever needs to be done. And yeah. those are sad indictments. I used to call mm. myself a recovering Pharisee, you know. I, <laughs> so, hey, anyway. You recovered. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I'm still recovering. You know, we, it, 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 I have a sponsor and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's right under our nose. David, he was this warrior in the literal sense, right? I mean, Saul slayed thousands and David 10,000. And I mean, good grief. I mean, the kid was probably 11, 12 years old and he's <laughs> running with all his might towards Goliath. I mean, this yep. kid was incredible. But it's, it's not just a coincidence that he also wrote an entire book of poetry that the Holy Spirit put in scripture. Yeah. And, you know, poetry is kind of going out of style and a lot of men probably don't sit around and write love poems to Jesus, right? You know, that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's not cool. That's not tough. The ability to humble yourself and appear meek and foolish by writing love poetry to, to God probably is what kept him humble mm-hmm. because he, he knew his place. When you're worshiping God, you know your place. But it's also what gave him the confidence and the strength to go out and and make the war. And so, again, we're, we're just going back to this theme about worship. And worship doesn't have to be singing. You don't have to play an instrument. Right. You can sing a cappella. You can, you can worship without words. You, if you do play an instrument, writing poetry is worship. Um, yep. there's, there's many different ways to worship. And, and I always tell people that the, the most effective worship is the kind coming out of your own mouth because mm. you know you're sending that frequency into the air i i i think it's fine if you want to sit around and listen to christian music because you enjoy it but i don't think that that's the same thing as warfare worship just turning right. on a radio and, and letting someone else do it uh and you guys have probably experienced this as well the times in my life where i've felt the holy spirit say you need to worship me right now it's usually those times where it's the last thing in the world you want to do. Mm-hmm. You're, you're tired, yes. you're traumatized, yes. you're sick, you're scared to death, you're upset, you're angry at someone. You know, there's some tumultuous thing going on in your life. And to just throw the brakes on all of your emotions and turn your back on it and just worship God, it's extremely difficult. And I think one of the reasons why praise and worship is a weapon is because the enemy knows how much self-discipline and empowerment by the spirit and, and 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 just humility and just it is super tough when you're spazzing out to stop dead in your tracks and and sing a worship song um, anyone can go and throw a throw a, a CD in, right? Anyone can do that. You've lost nothing. There's no effort in that. But when I'm just going to be honest, I think the reason why it's so hard for me to worship when I'm in the throes of my own agony is because what's really going on in those moments is a fight of faith. Because we wouldn't be that angry or emotional or upset or anxious or depressed or mad if somewhere deep down we weren't thinking, God could have fixed this. God's in control. I'm a good Christian. I haven't done this, this, and this. Why isn't he helping me? I'm going to look like a fool. My, my friends who aren't as close to God are, are going to think they, they're better than me because this doesn't happen to them. There's pride in there. There's, there's, it's a fight of 
space to worship him when when you're having a hissy fit because usually the root of those hissy fits is some sort of a faith issue. Why isn't God helping me? How long do I have to pray for the same thing over and over and over again? Why aren't my prayers getting through? The ego is so involved. What, what's this going to look like to my friends? How's this going to reflect on me when I have to go and tell all the other moms in my perfect little Bible study group who have all the perfect kids that my kid came out of the closet? How is this going to make me look? There's so mm-hmm. much ego in it. And the reason why it's hard to worship when we're in those modes is because whether we realize it or not, we're sort of, we're sort of in contention with God at that point. And now we got to turn around and tell him how great he is. It really, reve- it really reveals the heart when we yeah. are unable to do that. Well, let me tell you uh, a little bit uh, of my story kind of about that is it, and it's it, and if it offends religious people out there, just get over it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I went through a real deep, dark night of the soul. I mean, to the point of where you know I've been in ministry for over twenty years, and I was at the place to where I was making plans to kill myself. Oh my gosh! And and which I didn't know until later that that's actually bad. That a lot of people think about it, but not people start doing research on the internet. Anyway, enough of that. Mm. So. So I went through that deep, dark time. You know what got me through that, Vicky? And this is going to, it's so crazy, is the radio. And it wasn't Ooh. Christian music on the radio. It was normal music on the radio because I was hearing God's voice throughout uh, just all these different songs. songs. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I, I might have shared this with you before, but I've shared this out there, I think, before, is there was this song by Wilson Phillips that I didn't really even like when it came out, but <laughs> I would hear it on the 80s station. Just hang on one more day. No, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. And, but yeah. that's, that song led me to turn in relationship to him and hold on. And it slowly loosened the anger and the ego and all that stuff mm. to where I could get back to the place of just full on praise. Yes. And uh it, it, it he's so big. He's unstoppable. I know. That's he's right. So, he's so big. <laughs> it, it he can use whatever he wants to do and 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 I know that would offend people to to, to think that he could use secular music but but uh I mean I, I was raised by a, a mentor who he said he could take a crooked stick and make you know or what? What how's that saying go about take you a straight lick straight with lick a, with a crooked stick. Yeah, that's it. Yep. <laughs> Those southernisms, but but I think about what you said, and you're exactly exactly right. He has to bring us to this place of of um, well, it's a place of brokenness, mm-hmm. and yeah, and yeah. when you get to that place, he can use anything to draw you back in. Because I wasn't going to listen to uh, you know anybody. Uh, you yeah, know, I, I just all that did was put salt in the wound. But you know, yes, but. I listened to the radio and sit laying on my bed. God used those songs to speak to me, to pull me out of my hole. I mean, there was other things too, but I just want to hone yeah. in on that, on how he used the basis or the aspect of worship to do this. And it's such a crucial weapon in, in warfare. And, and to me, finding out the, the DCW worldview or, or having an understanding of that led to more worship. I don't know yeah. how it affected you guys, but, uh, 
it made it bigger, more unstoppable. Yeah, know? yeah, yep. You know, I just kind of want to add to what you just said. I think that if we understood the culture and the context of, of Scripture, like if we understood the times in which they were written and the belief systems and the worldviews that were were, yeah. were were on the scene, mm-hmm. there would be so many scriptures that to a modern day Christian would be absolutely offensive. Mm. What in the world would God show up there for? And I mean, even a lot of these patriarchs that we admire, like Moses and Joseph specifically, uh, Daniel, you don't think those guys were steeped on every side with the occult? I Mm -hmm. I mean, in the Mm -hmm. courts of Pharaoh and Babylon and, and, these magis that they were rubbing shoulders with and, and things like that. Uh, even the, the story of Jacob's ladder. And I don't want to go off on a huge tangent here, but Luz was a place where people would go to lay their heads down on Jupiter mm-hmm. stones and commune with the spirit realm and the astral realm. That's why it says, Oh, Jacob took a stone for a pillow. We are talking about one of the patriarchs of our faith who instead of crying out to Yahweh, goes to an occult center of worship to lay his head on a pagan stone because he's so desperate and so scared of what is going to happen to him and his family that he's so desperate, he basically consults the fallen realm. And God shows up there and says, no, 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 I'm intercepting this call where, you know, I'm going to talk to you. And then he's like, okay, I'm renaming this place House of God. I'm renaming this place Bethel because I found the the God of my father and my grandpa here. But to a Christian, that should be so offensive. That would be like, hey, I found Christ, you know, at a a rock concert or Mm -hmm. I I found Mm -hmm. Christ in in a bar, right? No, we're never supposed to go into those places. But the fact is, for all the people that are never going to go into a church or listen to the Christian music, it to, to limit God and say that God can't, you know, God's got the skeleton key. He can go wherever he wants mm-hmm. to find yep. you. Yep. Yeah, Vicky, I just thought about both Keith Green and mm. Lonnie Frisbee both have stories of acid trips ah. in their lives and how that was in Christ used those to and I, I think in, it's been years since I've read the book, but Keith Green's case it was more of a bad trip okay um and in lonnie frisbee's case it wasn't necessarily i think they're all bad trips personally but sure but sure. in his case it, it wasn't necessarily what he considered a bad trip and the lord still communicated with him uh, so yeah. it's like and yeah they both stopped using acid when they came to christ but my right. point is you know hallucinogens are I mean, there's not much different than going and laying your head on the Jupiter stone. Mm-hmm. In fact, no. I would say they're worse. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, it's a very worshipful divination sort of thing. And, you yeah. know, God still used that in both their lives. Yeah, yeah. yep, absolutely. Well, uh, let me ask you uh, this, Vicki, just uh, to keep the, the Divine Council worldview discussion going here. Um, practically, we've hit on praise and worship. Practically, what would be some steps that you would issue forth to people to shift their view from being a victim, which that's really what a lot of Christians are. I mean, I I hate to use that word, but it is. I have been a victim of the devil to being, you know, 
his head is under my feet. So what what would be some practical uh I guess admonitions and some practical steps that people could take to begin to develop more of a uh a spiritual warfare worldview influenced by DCW. Yeah. Hard one, sorry. <laughs> I yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'll get back to you in an hour. No. <laughs> well, first first of all, and this is this is expanding outside of the boundaries of Psalm 82, but there is no way that we are going to understand who we are in Christ. Mm. There's no way we're going to understand spiritual warfare or our authority in it if we are not in the Word. Oops. Yep. And I don't just mean I read my Our Daily Bread this morning or I listened to a quick thing or on, yep. in the car radio on the way to work. And if you ask me 10 minutes later what I learned, I can't even remember what it was. The Word of God is the sword. If you're armoring up, according to Ephesians 6, if you're armoring up, your only weapon is the word. Everything else is just stuff to make sure you don't get poked, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you've got to know that we've, we've developed so many other things to run to. There's always a book we can read Mm. or there's, you know, there's, there, there's a reason why our Christian bookstores have turned into gift shops. You know, you go in and for every book, there's a set of highlighter pens and there's like journals and all this stuff, you know, and magnets and t-shirts. And there's all these things that, you know, people want to be a part a lot of, the of terrible music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about that. <laughs> I'm not editing that out, Lindsay. Oh. That's truth. <laughs> Uh, Lindsay, uh, back in my heavy metal days, I used to tell people, there's two things that don't mix, Christians and recording contracts. (laughs) (laughs) It's sad. That's great. I'm writing that one down with Unstoppable. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right. I've just undone myself. Um, So um, we have to learn... And it is going to be so much harder for this generation to really dig deep Mm. into the Word of God Mm. because it is a slow, arduous, time-consuming process that requires thought and reflection and quiet. And our technology is ruining our brains. We do not have the attention spans that we used to. I'm speaking for myself. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm not... I'm not even on social media that much in comparison to most people. And I already like, I'll start reading and I I can't even, I can't even hold my attention to to read. Yep. Yep. And it it drives me nuts because I used to love to read and I'm actually struggling to do it now because I'm just so used to just board, flick, board, swipe, board, swipe, (laughs) you know? And, um, Unlike the stuff that we see on social media where we can just choose to like or dislike or delete or unfollow, mm-hmm. in Scripture, when we run across things that we don't like <laughs> or we don't understand or we don't want to believe, we do not have that option. And the, the Word forces us to, to come to grips with 
with the things. Like there, there is no option with the Bible to let God know how we feel. I'm going to give it a thumbs down. I'm going to leave it in the comment section. You know, like you have to deal with it. You know, you have to deal with it. So I know that that isn't specific to, to the divine counsel, but no. where I would go specifically with Psalm 82 yeah. is if God is standing amongst his inner circle, his own counsel, right? These people are way up the food chain compared to us, right? Right. But in Psalm 82, he's not congratulating them. He's not handing out, you know, HR awards <laughs> and, and bonuses, right? He's judging his own inner circle. And I know I'm borrowing from Peter here, but you and I have all met people that say, well, I, I know I'm living with my boyfriend and I smoke pot and I never go to church, but God loves me. And I know that, you know, when I get to heaven, he's just gonna, you know, I I mean, I've never murdered anybody. You know, this is the kind of logic that people have. Yeah. And the, the fact is first Peter isn't the only place that says, Hey, if he didn't even spare the angels, he's not going to spare you here in Psalm 82. If, if he is not even going to show mercy or give a second chance to the people that sit at his boardroom table and see his face, what in the world hope do we have apart from Jesus Christ? And if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, and we just choose in our arrogance to believe that he doesn't really mean that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have evidence in, in Psalm 82 that he isn't going to spare the people that have rebelled against him. Yeah. And yet at the same time, and, and I'm not making light of what you're saying because I totally agree with all of that. At the same time, those of us who have pursued him at most of the time, I have days. I mean, everybody does. But those who have pursued him with, with all our heart and everything, we're going to get to judge those angels. So, yeah. yeah it, yes. It, it, it to me, it's like a it's a contrast, and yeah, I, I agree with you uh, totally. Um, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. That's not a, uh, a, a yeah. legalistic thing. That's just uh, that's just the nature of love. When you love yeah. someone, you you do what they they say. I mean, I, I mean, me and. Sandy laugh all the time. I mean, yes, boss. I mean, I'll, you know, but, but there's, <laughs> but there's, there's something to it because I love her. I want to do for her what she asks me to do. And, and, uh, no legalism there. I don't feel, yeah. I don't feel un, uh, under any kind of compulsion to do that. I do it because I love her. And, and, uh, it, it is such a contrast. It, it really shows who loves and who doesn't love. In, in mm, opinion, yeah. You know, which is another, aspect of of all this uh warfare stuff is is love has got to prevail um god's agape love his definition of love not the world's definition of love obviously uh, yeah yeah so there there is so much beauty in submission of course that's why our culture is trying to destroy that yep. and make it look toxic yeah but if if jesus 
submitted to the Father, then I'm not going to feel weak as a woman because I have to submit to a father or a husband. Like, there's so much beauty in submission. Like, when you've got Jesus standing next to Pilate, and Mm -hmm. you've got the Son of God, right? You have got the Son of God in this pathetic human body, right? I mean, how humiliating must that have been? He has all the answers to every question in the world. He knows everything past, present, and future. He's God Almighty, and he's standing there half naked, beaten up, looking weak and disheveled next to the king and all of his robes and all this, right? And the humility and the strength of character and the beauty, because there was one thing that Jesus wanted more in that moment than to redeem his reputation, or to look powerful, or to escape death and pain. He wanted to please the Father more Mm. than his own rescue. Mm. How is that weak? How is that weak? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. I mean, I, I told my son who is wrestling with his faith, who went walking together, and I said, you want to tell you the strongest thing in the world? I said, I'll give you two, but I'm going to tell you the first one. Love. Love destroys mm. everything that is bad and evil in this world. Mm. And God's definition of love, which is self-giving love, which you see uh, you know, in the Trinity, why, to me, why the doctrine of the Trinity is so important for orthodoxy is because we get a glimpse of who God is in His essence of you know, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit in you know, enjoins that love of, of all the, mm. it's always self-giving. And, yeah. and, and I, I told my son that I said, it, love is, is the most powerful thing in the world, but love does triumph. God's love triumphs. Mm. And, and you're, yeah. you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, just in the contrast to seeing Jesus as this meek servant. Right. And it was because the joy set before him that he endured the cross, right? And I think part of that joy was, my dad is going to be so proud of me. Mm. You know, I mean, that's love. That that is, there's nothing weak about that. And no. Then he also, because he had the benefit of of being omniscient, he was like, the next time my feet come down on this planet, you're going to see a whole different guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he knew. That. Yeah. And he knew that. And that, so he, that allowed him to control his impulses and, and his, his gut instincts, right? Because our gut instincts as humans is to self-preserve, right? Yeah. And, and to, to, to lay down your life for your friends. There's no greater love than that. And he displayed that. And I'm sure maybe somewhere deep down in the back recesses of Jesus's mind, Satan was tempting him to punch Pilate in the face, but he did not do it. And uh, I'm sure to the world's eyes and even to a lot of people that reject Christianity, Jesus just looked like this little hippie, this little wimp, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the hippie is, is the one that everybody's expecting to come back to save them. And when he comes back on a war horse, no one's going to recognize him because yep. they're, they're expecting the hippie to come back, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and he's going to come back and, and we're all going to gain an understanding. I think intuitively, and this goes back to Romans, what, one, two, 
I think intuitively everyone knows the love that that the Father and the Son have for us and and all that. And we understand a basic understanding of agape love. But we've it's just got it just gets lost in the in the confusion. You know, we were talking about earlier about social media and everything that's going on and and all that kind of stuff. I have a friend of mine, he just turned uh fifty-three. And I joke with him because I'm almost 50 that I guess I'm getting dementia because I'm forgetting stuff. And he looked at me, he said, no, <laughs> you don't need to, you don't need to, like, you don't need to say it because that's not what, it's our society. We have so mm. much to do, so much to remember, so much in, yeah. that's, that's what's causing your lapse of memory is you have, yeah. you literally have so much in your mind and not enough capacity to handle what it is. And that, that is so true. And we need to get back to Jesus occupying majority of that capacity. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. The information overload is just, it's stressing out our systems. Our brains weren't meant to be defragging 24 hours a day and we stay up all night Mm -hmm. and we're bombarding our our senses and we're overloading our non-conscious with all of this stuff that has to be filed away and it's no wonder we're becoming physically ill well and that guy prophesied it i mean he's secular he wasn't uh, entertaining ourselves to death guy i can't remember the name of the book but oh postman neil postman is it neil postman uh, I think so. Amusing ourselves. Yeah, to death. amusing ourselves to death. Yeah, I mean he. Yeah. I mean, me and my brother-in-law read that like twenty years ago. <laughs> you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it 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 it's so so accurate now, even more twenty years ago. Um, so, I, can you believe that guy wrote that book before there was even an internet? And mm-hmm. and he 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 was spot on, and he he had no idea what was to come. But I. Yeah, like like you said, he's not an evangelical Christian, but that book was prophetic. Very prophetic. Very, 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 very. Yep. So let's kind of land this plane. Vicki, is there anything that you feel like you need to say or wrap up about what we've been talking about? Or do you feel like we've had a good discussion? The the only kind of conclusion remark I want to make, and we, we hinted at it um, before the show, mm-hmm. but for, for those who are, you know, expecting Vicky's little sleep paralysis, spiritual warfare take on this. <laughs> I don't think, you know, that, that's one thing that we are the only podcast that's never interviewed you about that. And you I, are not allowed to oh, talk about oh, that really? on here, Vicky. <laughs> we, we are. Okay. I, I mean, I'm going to read it and, and completely, and I'm going to interview about it one day, but right now you're too <laughs> interesting about other things. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, believe me. There are times where I think if I have to talk about sleep paralysis one more time, I'm going to scream, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I must go on. So, uh, to, to my audience, uh, like my heart is really towards people who are in the new age and in the occult. And like, I, I like to see if if you're going to snatch someone from the fire, let's snatch these from the fire, right? Like, let's do this. (laughs) Yep. I know. Amen. So what I, what was enlightening to me about the divine council as it specifically relates to my research is I've heard about Christ consciousness all the way back, you know, into the eighties when, you know, Oprah talked about it on TV and all this stuff, right? right? This whole, this whole idea that you can ascend into a higher vibrational being and Christ 
Christ was the first one to do it. He was just a man, but he, he was able to you know, reach Godhood and he was an example to you and you can too. And so in my youth, I was like, that's a lie. That's a lie. And so what profoundly impacted my research in learning Psalm 82 and the divine council is when he says to the gods, you will all die like men. I realized for the first time that this promise that the, the new age is putting out towards people that you can be as a God, it's not a lie. You can become as a little G God, but this is, this is the part where they're deceiving you. The part of Godhood that you're going to share in isn't the superpowers. It isn't the wealth and the fame and the fortune and the beauty. The part of Godhood that you are going to share with the little G gods is that you're going to stand in judgment and you're going to die like men. Mm. That's the part. That's the part they're promising you. That's what you're going to get at the end of all this. They'll throw some door prizes at you mm. up in the astral realm. So you're going to think like, this is working. This is great. But when it hits the fan, you're not going to have eternal life. Mm. And uh, the, the part of Godhood that you are inheriting is the part of Godhood from Psalm 82. I said, you are gods and all of you are sons of the most high. Nevertheless, that, oh, that's the scariest nevertheless in all of scripture. Nevertheless, nevertheless you will die like men. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. I've always been afraid of depart from me. I never knew you, but you know, that, that, that mm. was pretty scary too. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, Lindsay, you have anything you want to ask Vicky for? Uh... Oh man, probably nothing that wouldn't send us on another hour long rabbit trail. Um, I know, I know. I, right? I know her. I know her Instagram address. So if we, if you, we, we, we might could have her back. I'm sure she might maybe come. Um, I'll yeah. be back. Uh, well, let me let me ask you this, Vicky. This is and this is going to probably take a few minutes, but I, I'm just curious about this. If you can tell us, and if you can reveal this. What are you working on now? What's your next book? I, I know you have a next book because you're a writer. So what, what are you? I do. What's, what's brewing? I, I am working on it. I'm about 50,000 words into it. I, am, I have set a goal of having it finished by the end of March. Wow. If that happens, I, I'm hoping it'll be out this year, uh, probably late summer, early fall. So um, this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a teaser out there. I'm not going to tell you on air what it's about right. but just so everyone uh is curiosity is appeased yes. it does not have to do it does not have to do with sleep paralysis or <laughs> uh anything new agey it's a completely different topic cool i will probably write more on sleep paralysis in the future mm. but at this early stage i don't want people to think that that's the only thing that i'm interested in talking about you can get typecast and then people oh, yeah. don't want to like yeah, I can't see uh, Harrison Ford as very little other than Indiana Jones, you know, or Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> Han Solo. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So all I'll tell you, here's my little teaser. Um, I've had a blast researching this book. I've had so many like aha moments. Like I don't typically get real excited. I'm I'm sort of like a pretty mellow, even keel. There have been so many times where I have jumped up off my chair and went, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And I'm jumping around oh, and wow. squealing. And 
grabbing the guitar and rocking it out because I'm so excited. So th- it's going to be cool. Uh, Building that FOMO. It, yes, it, you are. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, um, something's coming. And I think you're going to like it, but it's not going to be the same old, same old. It's going to be a completely different topic. Cool. Mm. Have you ever thought about... But it will be fringing. Have you ever thought about branching out into fiction, too? I have. And I I actually did write a young adult fiction book that's out on Amazon. But I, I do have a very cool idea sketched out. And I've even thought that maybe after this year's book... Uh, if if I can get LA to go for it, that maybe I would pitch him the, the fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fiction. I mean, I, I know I love you know nonfiction. I mean, it's my bread and butter. But uh, fiction can touch me in ways a lot of times that nonfiction can. Yeah. So. That's great. Yeah, it absolutely can. I am excited. Well, Vicky, thank you so much for mm-hmm. being on our show and. Uh, once again, it was awesome, and I expect it to be awesome every time. I kind of come in with, <laughs> I kind of come in with no a pressure. little bit of anxiety, like, "Oh man, the last one was so good. How can we?" And, and like, the Lord just is like, "You don't have to beat it. Just, just be yourself. Yeah. Talk to, That's talk right. to Vicky. Have a conversation, and you know, and 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 pull all this massive knowledge that this woman has out of her brain. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> anyway." So thank you so much, Vicky. Um, yeah. Oh, thank and, you for having me. We're gonna we're gonna post all your your deets on on everything, and uh, also Wait. you guys, we're gonna post out there uh, the supernatural book we were talking about early on that uh, you can check out too. The 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 minor, yes. minor league version of uh, Unseen Realm. So we're we're gonna yeah. honor Dr. Heiser and post that out there too. So, but thank you, Vicki. We appreciate you so much. Always glad to have you here. Oh, thanks, guys. It was a blast. Thanks for listening and supporting us. And remember, stay naturally supernatural.